Good morning, everyone. Happy Mother's Day. Kids, honor your moms. That's an order. Okay? Say, like, say, yes, sir. Kids, honor your moms. Love them today. All right. We're talking today about being fruitful. How do you know if you are a productive, engaged, contributing, fruitful part of the body of Christ? So this message is really for believers. If you're not a believer today, you're going to hear the gospel message. You're going to, you're going to be called to believe that message. But if you're a believer... You're walking in these doors today, you are believing this gospel message, and you're probably wondering some days, am I really fruitful for Christ? Am I, am I really helping the kingdom of God? Am I doing what I'm supposed to do? And so, I know some days you probably go through the whole day, and maybe you're working, maybe you're going to school, maybe you're raising kids, or whatever it is, and you get through your day and you think, did I do anything today? Did I get anything done? Uh, I had this to-do list and stuff, but I don't even know, I don't even know what happened. You ever have a day like that? All the time, right? So I think this is a good thing for us to look at today. What does it mean to be a fruitful servant of Christ? In Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7, we see five marks of a fruitful servant of Christ. So let's stand to read God's word. I'm going to read Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. By the way, I have a friend who was once told, you're not a Christian because you haven't led someone to Christ. So you might even have this thing in your head like, well, I'm not a real Christian or I'm not going to be fruitful unless I do this or that. So hopefully this passage of scripture and explanation and application will help clear things up today. So Acts chapter 14 I like to remind us this is God's word, this is not man's word, this is not man's opinions, this is the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time. Speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both Jew Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. And Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel truth that we are able to read and know and live. Thank you, Lord, for your presence with us. Lord, I pray that you would have your way in our hearts today, that we would be listening to you, that we would be comforted by you, that we'd be challenged and Corrected even, Lord, that you would do whatever you want in our hearts. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat.
So what does it take to be a fruitful, productive, effective servant of Jesus? You can really measure yourself by this passage and say, is that describe me? A lot of us would say, oh, that doesn't describe me at all, and you know, I'm in, I'm in tough here. But praise God, God is patient. God is good, and he wants to use believers for his purposes, for his glory. The whole book of Acts is really about Christ's work through his witnesses for his sovereign purposes. And the church in Acts was very fruitful. You can see this throughout the whole book. They were doing what God wanted them to do. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. There was a lot of produce. There was a lot of fruitfulness. As we've gone through the book of Acts, and now we're in chapter 14, what we've seen is Acts chapter 1 verse 8 really being lived out through this book. Jesus told his disciples, he said, you're going to be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you powerfully, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem first. And so Acts chapters 1 through 8 is all about the gospel spread in Jerusalem. And then he said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then Judea and Samaria. Acts 9 through 12, those chapters are about the gospel spread throughout Judea and Samaria. And then he said, you're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And that's chapters 13 to the end of the book, till chapter, to the end of chapter 28. And so what we have here is a very fruitful church where Jesus is working through his people for his purposes. And that's, that's what we want to have happen in our life, but what we realize is we get clogged up with all sorts of things, and we find ourselves, even as believers, coming into a, a, a place of worship like we're doing today, and we're like, I don't feel fruitful at all. And some of you need to be comforted to know that, yes, you actually are fruitful. Yes, actually, God is using you. You might be a mom raising kids at home. You might be working in an office. You might be going to school every day, sitting in a desk and doing, is it reading, writing, and arithmetic? Is that what we're doing in school now? Is that it? Okay. Um, you might do any number of things in life, and you might, again, get to the end of your day and say, what did that count for eternity? Was there anything there of substance, of value, any fruit that God produced through my life. And some of you are going to need to be really encouraged to know today that yes, you are actually being used by God because he has gifted you and he has shaped you in such a way and he is using you in significant ways that you don't realize. Now others of you are going to be challenged and go, wow, I am actually way off track. I am so focused on my own deal. I am so reliant on my own self or I am so afraid of so many things that I'm relying upon my own understanding as I'm living through life as a professing believer, and I'm even not connected to Christ's church. So either way, you're, you're in, in, in good company, and, and you'll be fine because you're either going to be comforted or corrected, and the Holy Spirit will do it. Jesus wants his followers to be fruitful. 
so they fulfill his purposes. He wants you to be fruitful so that you do what he wants you to do, so that you glorify God. And what I see in this passage are five marks of that kind of person, five marks of a fruitful servant of Jesus. So let's dive in with the first one. Verse one, we'll start there. And you see Paul and Barnabas right off the bat, they get to Iconium, and what do they do? They go to the Jewish synagogue. Now you might remember that right before this, they had said, and Paul had given this this huge declaration, and he said to the Jews, you have judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. You keep rejecting the gospel message. We're going to the Gentiles. But what's awesome is the pattern that that they follow from then on out is they come to a city, they go preach the gospel to the Jews first, just like Romans 1.16, to the Jew first, then the Gentile. Go to the Jews, and then they basically get rejected, and then they go to the Gentiles. So everyone's still getting an opportunity to hear the gospel here. And they're getting an opportunity to either reject it or accept it. So at Iconium, they enter the Jewish synagogue, and it says that they spoke in such a way that a lot of people believed. The first thing you see here is that they were focused. That's the first mark of a fruitful servant of Jesus. They were focused on God's calling on their life. They were focused on Jesus and the gospel. This is what they were all about. This is what they were leading with. They were called to preach the gospel. We're called to preach the gospel. If you're a believer, and let's just say you're, you're a plumber, or you're a, an attorney, or you're a mom raising kids, or you're an empty nester, you're retired, or you're a student. Whatever you're doing in life, you are called as a believer to have as your first calling to live for Jesus and the gospel, and to preach the gospel, to proclaim the gospel, to live the gospel, and share the gospel in those spheres in which God has you. You know, preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel, proclaiming it, is not just for people who get sent out by a church to go to a certain place and do that. Some of you might say, but you know, I'm just not gifted that way. That's fine. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses. Doesn't matter if you have the gift of evangelism, the gospel ought to be coming out of your life because believers believe that Jesus indwells them that the holy spirit indwells them that they have the father son and holy spirit with them at all times and it even paul even told the corinthians that god manifests the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere we go and so you know our our task is really to get out of the way our task is really to to not hinder god's working in and through us so a lot of times what we realize is oh i'm in the way oh oh I see what's going on in my life. I, I see why things are a shambled because, shambles because I'm in the way. You know, Paul even said, it's not, it's not I, but, but Christ who lives in me. So they were very focused on the gospel. Jesus said in John 15, he said, you did not choose me, I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that would remain Fruit that wouldn't, you know, spoil and rot and get stolen and roll down the street. Fruit that would actually be eternal, whether that's the fruit of the Spirit, whether that's new believers as a result of your ministry. God is gonna, wants to produce fruit through your life that remains. 
Now, there was a problem in the Corinthian church that um, people were playing favorites. People were saying, I'm a follower of Paul, I'm a follower of Apollos, and guess what Paul says? You know, what are we? We're just servants through whom you believed. So here it says that they spoke in such a way that a great number believed, and it was because the way they were speaking was gospel. They didn't go there and open up the Iconian Times and say, there's a great article you need to hear, or let me tell you a story about my camel. They said, this is the word of God. This is what Jesus did. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus was buried. Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus is exalted at the right hand of the Father. And Jesus is coming back for everyone who believes in blessing. And for those who don't believe, in judgment. They were very clear about this. They were very focused about it. They stuck to the word. That's what we need to do. We need to stick to the word of God. Love the word of God. Live it in our life and then give it to people. Give it out to people. And you don't need a special calling to that. Actually, wait, wait, wait. You already have a special calling for that. It's called being Jesus' witness. If you're a believer, you're Jesus' witness. And, and Christ wants to do his work in and through you for his purposes. Are you picking up what I'm laying down? Are you, do you get what I'm saying? We're checking right now. Just checking. Just say yes or raise your hand. All right. Thank you. Now we're good. Now we can keep on going. Um, stick to the word. They were focused on the calling. The, the word of God. Uh, Hebrews 4, 12. He says the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. And what he's saying is, just like a butcher would take a really sharp knife and let's say cut a cow or whatever and get all the pieces and go around the bone. He's saying the word of God is pierces as far as the, 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 the division of joints and marrow and soul and spirit and able to do this, judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. That's why when you come to the word of God and you read it and you go, well, my life isn't lining up to this. Praise God for that. That means you realize the Holy Spirit's showing you you got to align yourself with the word of God. That's what Christians do. Christians believe Jesus, they live for Jesus in the gospel, they, they believe the word of God, they, they, they see what's in the word and they say, well, that's how I should live. This is what I should do. I've got to be focused on that. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and, his, and him crucified. And that doesn't mean that Paul never talked about anything else. I'm sure he talked about olives and hummus and, and the nice meal they, they had and the, the neighbors and what have you. What he is saying, though, is that the foremost focus was on Christ and him crucified. And he always got to that. That was always the big deal. That was always what was most important. It's like a runner running a race and straining for what? The finish line. There's a goal. There's a focus. The runner doesn't go, there's a butterfly. Wow. I think I'll go chase a butterfly. You're like, get back in the race. Oh, you got out of your lane. You're disqualified, you know? No, the runner is focused on the finish line. So the first thing, if you want to be a fruitful servant of, of Jesus, you, you've got to be focused on God's calling in your life. And remember, for every Christian, it's the same. You live for Jesus and the gospel. You exist for the gospel purpose. Now, whatever realm he puts you in, you apply it to that. So you've got to focus on that. 
Now let's stay in verse 1. I want to show you the second thing. We're going verse 1 and then into, chapter, then into verse 2 and 3. You need to be reliant. Rely, trust in God's power. Because the end of verse 1 says, a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. Awesome, right? They spoke in such a way. They were speaking the gospel. And it says in verse 2, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, poisoned their minds against the brothers. So those who were unbelieving, they were disobedient to the word. And, and there's all these believers now, but then there's unbelievers that are stirring unbelievers up and poisoning their minds against Christians. And it says that they remained a long time, verse 3, speaking boldly for the Lord. Verse 4, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. You see, they did not rely upon their persuasive gifts, not on their ability to preach the message. They relied upon God's power. They relied upon his power to save as well as to confirm the gospel message with miracles, signs and wonders. That's what signs and wonders are, miracles. Now, some of you, you know, you're, you're driving down the street one day, and you're, you're going to your favorite store, let's say, and, and you keep getting snaked for parking spots. You can't find one, but all of a sudden, a parking spot opens up right in front of your favorite store, and you say, it's a miracle. No, it's not. That's God's providence, where God has orchestrated events to your benefit. Not a miracle. Let's say you're walking down the street one day, and there's this huge gaping hole in the street, you know, 20 feet deep, and you're talking to your friends, and you're not looking, and you're about to walk into that hole to your certain death, and all of a sudden, your best buddy pushes you out of the way and saves your life, and you say, it's a miracle. No, it's not. It's God's providence. God providentially orchestrated the event. What's a miracle? Well, a miracle is a sign and a wonder. What's a sign and a wonder? It's a miracle. What's a miracle? What's a sign and a wonder? It's where God breaks in to the natural order of things, does something only God can do, and then let's natural law take its course from there. Case in point, Lazarus being raised from the dead. So Lazarus has been dead for several days. Jesus comes in, breaks into the natural order of things, which would be a decomposing, rotting body, and rises him from the dead, resurrects him. And then... So God just did a miracle there. And then, then let's natural law take its course. Because we, it's not recorded in scripture, but some other day in the future, Lazarus died and was buried and his corpse rotted. Right? So a miracle is where God breaks into the natural order of things, does something only he can do, and then lets the natural order of things keep going. So all the things you say are miracles are really providential as God is orchestrating events. You know what the biggest miracle is, the biggest sign, the biggest wonder in our day today? It's something you sometimes neglect. 
It's something you sometimes take for granted. It's something that you might have more than one of. It's something that might be in print or might be electronic and you might have multiple versions and sometimes you realize, I haven't looked at that thing for a week. The Bible is, is the most amazing sign that God has given us today and here's why. Let's say you, had, you say, I'm going to come up with something that is going to last forever. And it's going to go past our generation. It's going to go into every nation of the world. And it will not be defeated. And it's going to go through every culture, every peak and pit of human existence. And, and at the end of time, it will still be exactly what I intended it to be at the beginning. You're all like, uh, you lost me at I'm going to do something that's going to last forever. You're like, I can't do that. You know, I'm going to write a book that will just be a classic. You know, someday it's going to get refuted. It'll burn. Everyone will forget about you. But the Bible, the Bible is, is the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God. And it is a wonder. It is a sign. It is a miracle that God has preserved it so that we can be here in 2016 in the city of Orange, California, listening to the Bible as God intends it. That's a miracle that he has preserved his word. You know what else is a miracle that's all around you and you might not realize a lot of times and you might actually forget, but your transformed life in Christ your new life in Christ, you're a new creature in Christ, and those around you and your family and your small group and people you know, transformed lives, eternal souls that are being transformed into the likeness of Christ right before our very eyes. I've known many of you for 10 years now, and I have been seeing God before my very eyes, seeing God transform you more into the image of Christ. I can tell you now, 10 years in, you're not less Christ-like, but more. Why? Because Jesus is working in his witnesses for his purposes. Jesus reminds us, apart from me, you can do nothing. When Paul was talking to the Corinthians, you know what he said? He said, you know, I decided not to know anything among you except Christ and him crucified. And then he goes on. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He goes on a bit and he gives them the reason. That's a great reason. It's a really great reason. He says in, in verse 2, uh, chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 2, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but of God, in the power of God. You've got to be reliant upon God's power to save and to confirm his word. 
if you want to be a fruitful servant of Christ, you've, you've got to be focused on your calling from God. Take the gospel wherever he sends you, from home base out. And you've got to be reliant upon his power, not your own. Now let's go in verse 3. I'll see, show you a third mark. It says they remained for a long time and spoke boldly for the Lord. To translate that, it means they spoke fearlessly. They were without fear. You want to be a fruitful servant of Christ, you need to be unafraid of any opposition to the gospel. You need to be unafraid. They were fearless in the face of opposition. And we're, we're encouraged, instructed to do the same thing. They remained faithful. They continued to preach the word of God. They were unafraid. And do you know why they were unafraid? Because the Holy Spirit indwelt them and was using them, and they were yielded to the Spirit. They were unafraid. They were fearless. Many of us are fearful of a lot of things. You're, you're, you're fearful of a lot of things. I've been fearful of a lot of things in my life. Now, I fear spiders biting me. I fear snakes biting me, but you do too, right? So let's take spiders and snakes off the table for a moment and say, besides spiders and snakes, we need to be unafraid, right? Now, here's the deal. You need to be unafraid, but guess what? When you're afraid, you're enslaved to fear. And you make a pebble into Mount Everest in your life. You make a little pebble or even a little grain of sand into an unclimbable mountain in your life. For me, and I shared this with some of you in the past, for me it was going 13 years without flying at one segment of my life. And I didn't want to tell you, I didn't want to tell my family, I, want, I made every excuse of why not to fly and I was afraid. And, and I had unsubstantiated fears. I had irrational fears. That's, that's what fear does to you. You start thinking you can't do that thing. What is it for you? What's yours? There's something where you go, I can't do that. And God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 2 Timothy 1, you, you, you have not been given a spirit of fear. So if you are wrapped up with fear, then that's not from God. Now, I'm not saying that the thing that you're wrapped up in and that fear is, you know, nothing. It's something. It might be an imagination, but it's something but Jesus wants to free you from that. And if you think about it, many of us are fearful of, of living and, and giving the gospel for a whole slew of reasons, a whole bunch of reasons that were like that. God has not given you a spirit of fear. If you want to be a fruitful servant of Jesus, you've got to be unafraid. Bold, fearless. And guess what? Just like trusting in God's power to save, you can trust God's power to make you bold through the personality he's given you. One person's boldness is another person's shyness, right? It's, there's, there's, it's not the same for everybody, but trust God to help you be unafraid. That's an internal thing first, right? We talk about uh, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So the fears you have, 
You cast them upon the Lord. 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your anxiety upon him. Because he cares for you. He cares for you. He can handle it. He can take it. You want to be a fruitful servant of Jesus, you've, you've got to focus on that calling God has given you to live for Jesus in the gospel. And make that be your undeterred focus. We get focused on so many things in life. And a lot of it has to just do with us and about our feelings and our thoughts and all that. We, we're all this way, every one of us. And so we've got to remind ourselves, we're coming to the table in a little while. That reminds us to focus on the gospel. And then the reliance part, it's like, okay, if we're focused on the gospel, I can't just rely upon my own ideas, my own strength, and my own wisdom, and my own power. I've got to rely upon God's power. I've got to say, Jesus, I can't do it apart from you. Sure, I've got gifts and I've got strengths, but I cannot do this. Nothing, nothing of eternal value will happen unless you do it. And then we've got to be unafraid. We've, we've got to be able to say, I'm going to push through that. I'm going to give that to God, and I'm going to, I'm going to walk in victory in Christ. Let's go on to verse 5. We'll see a fourth mark of a fruitful servant of Christ. The people of the city were divided. Now, here, here, here's what happens. The Jews that had stirred up the people's minds and had gotten their minds poisoned against the believers had only been half successful. Because it says that half the city said, yeah, we don't believe in Jesus either. Those apostles are crazy. Those Christians are out of their minds. The other half of the city is saying, no, 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 we believe that Jesus is who he says he is. We believe what they're saying. And now the Jews are like, uh, we can't have this. We need everybody to agree with us. And so what they do is they, they hatch a plan, verse 6 tells us, to mistreat them. It means to abuse them, to verbally abuse them, to physically abuse them, and to stone them. So basically kill them. And they're figuring, if we do that, then everyone can be on our side again. But what happens is the disciples, the apostles, learn of it. They find out the plan. We don't know if the Holy Spirit just told them. We don't know if the church caught wind. We don't know how they figured it out, but they figured out that there was a plan against them, and so they flee town. Now, you could think about this and go, wait a minute, were they being afraid? Were they, were they, what were they? No, they were being wise. So you need to be insightful. That's the word. You need to be insightful. You need God's wisdom. Paul says we have the mind of Christ. I looked up the word wisdom. It's a noun, and here's the definition. Insight. Common sense. God's given you insight. You need to be insightful. Their insight led them to say, we're out of here. We're going to another town. We're going to live to preach another day. One friend of mine said, a dead apostle preaches no gospel. We're going to live to preach another day. We're going to preserve our opportunity to keep on doing what God has called us to do. And in that situation, they're always seeking the will of God. In that situation, that was the will of God for them. Now, pretty soon, if we continue on through the book of Acts, verse by verse, we're going to see that Paul did get stoned with rocks, and they left him for dead at one point. So it's not like God's always going to have them flee. But in this situation, that was God's will for them. In that specific situation, they walked in wisdom. They chose wisely. They didn't experience the face-melting reality of a bad choice. <laughs> you remember the old the movie um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? And um, 
you come to the very end, and you, you go in, they're in this room, and, and they've got all these chalices, these, the cup of the Lord, and the Holy Grail, and, and they're, they're in there, and there's like a lot to choose from, and you got to pick one of them, dip into the water, and then you drink the water, and you know, live forever and all that. So what happens is, it's just make-believe, okay, make-believe here, um, and, and the, the enemy guy runs in, and he grabs the cup he thinks is the good one. He's like, this is the one, and he, 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 he takes a takes a sip, and his face melts off. He blows up, blown to smithereens, gone, okay? So then Harrison Ford, Indiana, he says, there's the cup of, the, of, the, of a carpenter, and he takes this humble-looking cup, and turns out it's the right one, and so the old knight that's there, been waiting for him for a long, long time, says, you have chosen wisely. You want to choose wisely in life, people. You, don't, you, you know how many times we keep going in a certain direction, and it's very unwise. People are even telling us, and we just think, no, this is what I'm going to do, because we're stubborn, because we're sinful, because we, we like to be right and prove ourselves right even if we're wrong. You've got to make a good decision. You've got to be insightful. You've got to trust the Lord. James 3 says, who's wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false against the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. It's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You need to walk in wisdom. You need to have insight. And you're going to get that from the Lord. You're going to get that from uh, trusted people in your life that will tell you the truth. And that really leads us to the last mark, the fifth mark of a fruitful servant in Christ. And I see this in all seven verses. And I really see this throughout the whole book of Acts. And I see this through the whole New Testament. You need teamwork. You need teamwork. It's not enough to say, I'm going to be focused on the gospel. I'm going to be focused on my calling. I'm going to be relying upon God's power. I'm going to be unafraid of any opposition. I'm going to have God's insight and then not work as a team with other believers. In this passage, just start in this passage. It's clear here throughout the book of Acts, throughout the whole New Testament, believers in Christ don't go alone, even if you're out there alone, because there's always some body of believers you're connected to. In this passage, just this seven verses, the word they is there four times. In, in Iconium, they entered together into the synagogue. Uh, the Jews stirred up the, the Gentiles against the brothers. They, Paul and Barnabas, remained for a long time. God granted that signs and wonders be done by their hands. And then they learned about the plan, and then they left and continued to preach the gospel. Now, interestingly, you go back to Acts chapter 13. They were sent out by the church in Antioch. They had a sending church that they were actually going to see. Later in this chapter, we see them come back and report on what happened. But they were not alone. They had the Lord with them, but they were teaming up in ministry, Paul and Barnabas, and they helped Christians that were being harassed, and there was a church in Iconium. You see, later they came and appointed elders in that church. But these were their teammates in the gospel. Paul and Barnabas, a team. They had teammates in the gospel. Just like the church are teammates in the gospel. We are part of a local assembly of believers. But we are also part of the, 
the, the, the big church of Jesus uh, comprised of every person who has placed their faith in Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone, for salvation that God, that God brings about. So they worked together, and you see people's minds were poisoned and, and all sorts of things like that, but what you see is the church working together. Paul told the, the, the Philippians, in Philippians 1, he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He's talking to a supporting church, ascending church, people he knew and loved. So, you want to be fruitful in Christ? You want to be a fruitful, effective participating, productive servant of Jesus, you've got to have these marks in your life. Focused on God's calling, reliant upon God's power, unafraid of any opposition, insightful, the wisdom of God, and you need teamwork. Now in my yard at home, I've got a bunch of fruit trees, most of which I've planted myself. I've got a plum cot, Lemon, grapefruit, strawberry guava, pomegranate. And guess what? The strawberry guava can't, can't stop giving fruit. I love that tree. It's a little tiny tree, but I love that tree. Just hundreds of fruits. The pomegranate, whew, awesome. Very productive. The plum cot, a stick with leaves. I'm calling their, their name into question. But what I found is you need, you need um, pollinators. You know, like an avocado, you need um, another avocado tree. Plums, you, you need another plum tree, I guess, to help pollinate it. Here's the deal. You don't want to be monocarpic. You want to be polycarpic. Now, the Greek word for fruit is karpos. Monocarpic are those plants and trees and fruit trees and what have you that, that grow one fruit or flower and then die. Now the polycarpic part, kinds like apples and mangoes and grapes and oranges uh, are producing continually in and out, you know, in the season. They're, they're, they're giving fruit. They're living up to their name. That's what you want to be. That's what you want to be. I'll end with this, Colossians 1. Look at this verse, it's a good verse, it's a prayer. It's my prayer for you, it was Paul's prayer for the church. Colossians 1, 9 and 10. And it's because Jesus wants his followers to be fruitful so they serve his purposes. Here's what he says. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Colossians 1, 9. And verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Jesus wants to use your life, wants to work in and through you to bear fruit that remains so that he is glorified. And Lord, thank you that you do this. It's not us. It's not our power. It's not our might. It's your 
your work in and through us. And Lord, we feel very unworthy of the privilege and we've, we know we fall short a lot, but you don't ever fall short. Lord, give us grace to focus on your call and rely on your power and be unafraid and insightful and team together for you. In Christ's name, amen.